Jesus, we are thirsty today. We pray that you would quench our thirst. We are hungry and we pray that you would feed us today. Would you send your spirit? Would you open our eyes and open our hearts so that we can receive what you have for us today? In your name we pray. Amen. You guys can be seated. Well, good morning. My name is Amanda Gerber. I serve as a deacon here at IEC. And today we're going to begin by continuing on from where Ken led us last week. And that is because, as you may have noticed in the gospel reading, we will be continuing to preach through the Magnificat, through Mary's song, and we're going to be focusing on it for all three short weeks of Advent this year. And in this season of Advent, we wait. We wait. And there is so much going on right now. There is so much activity. You can just take a deep breath right now and remember that we wait in Advent. We prepare our hearts for feasting, but we don't rush ahead to the celebration just yet. We allow ourselves first to feel the longing and the ache. And Ken, last week, led us through examining Mary's song, The Magnificat, through the lens of our hunger and how our hunger and our desperation carves out space for us to receive the grace that God so generously and freely bestows. And this week, we're going to turn our attention to an examination of humility. And humility is everywhere in this passage in Luke. And how humility paves the way to abundance. Okay, I will report to you that after some extensive research, which by extensive, I mean a few hours of reading I was able to sneak in between work and home responsibilities uh, the past few weeks, I've come to conclude that people say a lot of different things about humility. Uh, a pastor who writes for you version says that humility means to occupy your God-given space in the world, not to overestimate yourself or your abilities, but not to underestimate them either, being aware of and comfortable with your place. That seems pretty palatable for our modern ears. An author named Andrew Murray says that humility is the sense of entire nothingness that comes when we see how truly God is everything. Entire nothingness maybe is a little strong for our modern ears. Okay, and Kanye says... People always tell you, be humble, be humble. When was the last time someone told you to be amazing, be great, be great, be awesome, be awesome? That speaks for itself. Um, <laughs> Mother Teresa had a list of 10 or 12 humility practices, and those included things like be courteous and delicate even when provoked, accept censures even when unmerited, and give in in discussions even when you are right. Those are also a little strong for modern ears. It makes me wonder, where are understandings of this virtue of humility, of this, of this concept of humility, where have they gotten muddled both by the blind spots of our culture and age and by the deceptions of our own hearts? And I wonder, what can we learn from Mary, and more importantly, from Jesus, about the way of true humility? Let's turn to Mary first. Let's turn to our passage here in Luke. We find in Mary someone who beautifully demonstrates for us 
both humility of circumstance and humility of character. There is such a contrast in the circumstances of the Annunciation of Jesus' birth to Mary compared to the passage right before this where John's birth is announced to Zechariah. Zechariah is a high-level religious leader. He's visible to others. He's completing priestly service in the temple. Mary, on the other hand, she is in an obscure village on an ordinary day, not only a woman, but a young woman at that. And Zachariah and Mary, they both respond with questions to the angel's news, um, but their responses appear to have a different tone to them. She seems more surprised and attentively curious, how, how will this happen? Well, Zachariah's response seems to lean a little more towards the skeptical. What we see here is that Mary was clearly not chosen for her greatness or status or upward movement, and she knows it. She says in her song that God has been mindful of the humble estate of his servant. And if this is something she could sing about, clearly she was unashamed of these humble circumstances. She recognizes that this is not a barrier to future generations calling her blessed. Mary did not only experience humble circumstances, but she also had this humility of character formed by God's grace through her humble circumstances, through the postures and practices of her life. For example, she knew the scriptures well. She paraphrases other places in scripture in her song. She seems familiar with what the Psalms say about God's response to the poor and lowly. And she knows exactly what Gabriel means when he says that this child will be great and will have the throne of his father, David. She knows he is talking about the foretold Messiah, the one Israel has been waiting and longing for. And not only does she understand it, she believes it. Mary's humility of character prompts her not to doubt, not to shrink back, not to feel unworthy, not to boast. She has nothing to earn, nothing to prove. She doesn't ask how hard it's going to be, what this might cost her, or what others will think, because they are going to think things. She very simply receives this good news and believes it. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord, she says. Let it be to me according to your word. Mary receives who she is in God's eyes and receives what he wants to give her. I think that humility is what we see here in Mary. Humility is freedom from self-focus so that we can receive how God sees us. Humility is receiving our identity as beloved image bearers, as beloved children of God. And humility brings freedom from, from our thoughts about ourselves, freedom from the thoughts of others, and freedom to see ourselves as God sees us. It's knowing we have nothing of our own to offer. We are dependent on God for everything. But like Mary, we are favored, bestowed with grace. We are blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Mary exemplifies this humility for us, but also the abundance of freedom and joy that comes from humility. There is 
There's so much she doesn't know at this point, but her whole soul, her whole being magnifies the Lord. She rejoices. She basks in the light of God's love poured out on her. Okay, so what do we do with this? Do we, do we just simply be like Mary? What if we don't find ourselves in humble circumstances? What if we have tried our best to be humble, but it's on the outside? We struggle to experience this inward humility of heart. What if emptiness and lowliness and humility just do not feel like good news to us? Ken brought light last week to the fact that we, we only seek emptiness and hunger and desperation so that it can be filled with something better. And this implies trust that what we would be filled with is better than what we currently have. And that trust feels hard to muster up sometimes. Even when we know we want this humility, what if our pride feels too stubborn? What if we can't get rid of it? The reality is we are powerless to kill our pride. We are utterly unable to save ourselves and to find this true humility on our own. But God comes to us in our pride. He comes to us in our self-sufficiency, in our hopeless state. But he doesn't just come and humble us. First, he humbles himself. We don't kill our pride in order to get to God. He, through Jesus, humbles himself and comes to us. And then our pride falls. It is okay that humility sounds like bad news on its own, because it is. Humility makes no sense without the person of Christ. Because God is not a high and mighty deity waiting for us to get our act together and, and humbly return to our subservient place. Instead, he through Christ humbles himself, beginning in the incarnation. Christ takes on the nature, not of a typical king, but of a baby and of a servant. Philippians 2 says he emptied himself. He made himself nothing. And as he lives his life, preaching good news, healing, freeing those in bondage, what, what does he get in exchange? He's despised and rejected. He is silent when accused. He loves those not who love him back, but who reject him. And he loves them all the way to the point of death on a cross, giving his life in exchange for ours, the ultimate humility. Jesus, this one that we, that we exalt and lift high, he is the humble one. And his sacrifice frees us up to true humility that we could never accomplish on our own. But, but look at this, this sacrifice, this humility, it isn't doom and gloom for Jesus. He receives the joy of how the Father sees him. He also receives his identity as beloved child. As he emerges from the waters of baptism, God's voice breaks forth in delight over him. This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Despite being rejected by man, these words from his father sustained him. This was why he could continue to love even unto death freely and with joy. 
says in Hebrews that Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame. But not only does Jesus model humility for us, he makes our humility possible. He makes it good news. He makes death to self and freedom from pride possible. Let's look at pride for a minute. Our pride positively destroys us. Pride lies to us. Being slaves to our desires and our sin, our insecurities, which insecurities are really pride masquerading as humility, or slaves to our comfort and self-sufficiency, these things are not good news because pride has nothing for us, nothing to offer us. Our pride being, being torn down, our freedom from our bondage to ourselves, that is good news. Because of Jesus, we have nothing to lose but bondage to self and pride and everything to gain in new, abundant, redeemed life. Christ defeated death and was raised to new life. In this, he freed us from the guilt of our sins and set us free from death and hell. And in baptism, we are united with Christ. We receive his new life. Consider the humility of baptism. We submit ourselves to a symbolic drowning because the old life must die, the self must die and be raised again. Salvation is inherently humiliating because we cannot do it ourselves. God must act. And this is a humility that brings a complete transformation a freedom to see ourselves anew as God sees us. Because when he looks at us, he sees not our sin, but Christ's righteousness. The revolution here, the revolution that we see in Mary's song that we receive through Christ is this, that death to self may sound like bad news, but it is good news. Because welcoming the life of God in us, being united to Christ, is nothing short of freedom and joy and delight. The joy and delight of receiving God's love with all of our life and glory flowing from the triune God. And this humility, it is something we receive. And we want the joy of this. We want to experience in greater and greater fullness the joy of this the manifestation of this. And to do that, we need God's help. We need his help to see this and to humble ourselves before him and continually submit to his rule and reign in our lives, trusting that this is truly the path to abundant life. And the good news is humility is good news for us no matter our circumstances, whether we are experiencing, like Mary, humble circumstances, or whether we're experiencing abundant circumstances. But I think that we embrace this differently from a place of affliction or of abundance. The definition of one of the Hebrew words for humility, ani, includes not only the words humble and lowly, like we might expect, but also afflicted. I remember a moment in college so vividly. Once again, for the umpteenth time, I had friends gathered around me in my dorm room, and they were praying for my healing. Their prayers were the same as they had been for the past few months. 
But I remember knowing clearly that something in me had shifted. I had awoken a few months before with the world spinning out of control, literally. The day before, I had been a healthy and normal 18-year-old on a college campus. Um, but the su sudden onset of severe vertigo left me reeling. At first, I could not walk across the room without holding on to things. I was constantly so nauseated, I couldn't keep anything down. And at this moment, as my friends prayed, as I sat on this bed, despite medications and CT scans and tests and, and multiple doctors' opinions, I still had a debilitating level of vertigo. All of my activities had to fall away. Time with friends was few and far between. It was all I could do to make it to class and back and lay down in my bed again. I had no idea when the horror would end, or if it would. But this time, as my friends prayed, something deep down in me said, wait. Don't, don't just pray for this to go away. Because there was something happening in my soul. There was a closeness to Jesus I had never felt before. My pride and self-sufficiency, I felt them being stripped away. I felt myself being held right in this suffering. My body was betraying me, but my heart felt alive. And there was something precious there that I didn't want to lose if my symptoms were miraculously taken away in that moment. It had taken me months to see that there could be anything good here, to somehow even welcome what was happening. And I don't think I could have described it in that moment, but I believe I was being humbled and that I was also being given the grace to receive it. Okay, let's pause for a side note for a moment and acknowledge the danger in sharing a personal example in a sermon about humility. Because one saying oneself is humble isn't actually a thing. It doesn't work. It isn't for any of us to say about ourselves that we are humble. If I tell you I am humble, you should probably doubt that pretty hard. And this is important. It's not for us to say about others that they are being humbled right now. Like, oh, look at that person over there being humbled as though hard circumstances in life were somehow God's way of getting their attention or getting something through to them that they needed to understand. When we, when we do that, we become too much like Job's friends, if you know that story. But as I experienced in college, I think there is an element where we do have the opportunity to receive affliction as humbling, maybe even as a gift for ourselves. That somehow it can carve out space for God to fill because we know we have nothing else to fill it. Mother Teresa said also that you cannot learn humility from books, that you learn it by accepting humiliations. She said that humiliations are not meant to torture us, they are gifts from God. No one wants to experience things like six months of debilitating, unexplainable vertigo, or the specific suffering that you are holding in your mind right now. But can any one of us say that we are escaping the suffering of this life? When hard things come our way, do we have eyes open to see the grace 
What if the circumstance that is humbling you is not only awful, and I trust that it is, but what if it is also part of your salvation? What if it can somehow also lead you to joy? This is a tender topic. Humility is certainly not helplessness. It's not minimizing the horrendous pain of suffering. There are no simple explanations. What can we do in this but rest in what we know in the scriptures? We know what God says in Isaiah, that he lives in a high and holy place, but also with the one who is contrite and lowly to revive the spirit of the lowly, to revive the heart of the contrite. Or what the psalmist says, O Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. And we turn our attention from the afflicted to the abundant. We come to the rich, the mighty, those who find themselves on top, who are perhaps not experiencing affliction, maybe not in the most humble of circumstances. Our passage, this song, it is full of warnings for those in power who are on top. The mighty are brought down, the rich are sent away empty. Can one who does not find themselves in humble circumstances still seek this manifestation, this blessing of humility? Is there good news for those on top too? Yes, yes there is. When we experience gain and success and power and wealth and things going well, pride can easily creep in. But however near or far we feel from that humility of heart, from that humble character, we need to know this. Our pride and complacency is not too much for God. He is coming for us then too. It might hurt sometimes, but he will not leave us where we are. A book I recently read suggested that, that you can't act humble, that you cannot be humble only on the outside. You can only be humbled. If God is humbling me in my abundant circumstances, I can rejoice. There is pain in this, but we rejoice that the mighty too can become the meek and the lowly in the kingdom of God. We might feel like we are experiencing abundance in our circumstances, but what God has in mind for us with true humility in bringing us back to our identity as beloved children, that is true abundance. C.S. Lewis said, to get rid of all the silly nonsense about your own dignity, which has made you restless and unhappy all your life. Dignity is bestowed on us as image bearers of God, but when we strive for dignity on our own terms, rather than receiving it, we will struggle to escape the self-focus that enslaves us and receive our true identity as beloved children. The good news is no matter where we find ourselves, we are not too far from this grace. God is coming to us in affliction. He's coming to us in abundance. And we can respond to his grace and humble ourselves before God. How do we humble ourselves before God in response to his grace? We can let our hearts be caught up in gratitude. 1 Corinthians asks, what do you have that you did not receive? 
We can give thanks for all that we have received. There is nothing too big or too granular to give thanks for. There is always a reason to praise the eternal God who fills the hungry and exalts the lowly. We can return to the Lord in prayer and fasting. We can do this because he is always more willing to hear than we are to pray. He wants to give us more than we desire or deserve. In prayer and fasting, they carve us out. They help us to feel our hunger and our need and our longing to be filled. This, this is why we're having a prayer meeting tonight, to seek the face of God, to cry out for help, to humble ourselves before God and ask him to fill us. And humble ourselves before God by falling on our faces in worship. Like Mary, when we hear the good news of this gospel of grace, we can sing. We can gaze upon God's holiness and stand in awe because his holiness miraculously does not condemn us. Worship, falling on our faces, losing ourselves in this, this is, where, this is where we find our identity. This is where we lose our focus on self so that we can see ourselves as God sees us, as his beloved children. Because 1 John says, see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. God wants to speak this identity over us. He wants to deliver us from bondage to self. He wants us to see ourselves as he sees us. He wants the freedom that that brings. The grace that we need for humility is close at hand. He's not withholding it from us. And may we, through this gift of humility that we receive, know ever more deeply the truly abundant life that Jesus gives us. Let's pray. God, we are hungry and you are good and you do feed us. We praise you for who you are. We praise you for what you've done, for how you have come for us. We are so grateful to be called your children. Lord, we need you. We need your help. We need your help to receive us, to receive this. Lord, I pray that you would help us to see you clearly. Help us to see ourselves as you see us. Come, Holy Spirit. Amen.